Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. It's Christina here today, and on this week's episode, I'm meeting with the co-founders of Sunnyside Up Nutrition, Anna Lutz and Elizabeth Davenport, and we're diving into how to raise confident eaters in our children, how to leave diet culture out of mealtimes, and how we as parents can cultivate a home environment that exposes our children to positive body image, a non-diet approach to food, and what we can really do to make our home a very safe non-diet environment for our children. I'm super excited. I hope you guys like this episode too, and let's dive in. Thank you so much, Anna and Elizabeth, for coming on the podcast today. Um, You guys are such experts in eating disorders and for parents, and you're such a wonderful resource. I'm so excited to have you guys on. Um, One of the things that I've been thinking about that I would love your thoughts on um, as we get started, and we're just going to jump right into it, is that I will say a lot of times I've been seeing a lot with my teens, a lot of the parents that will come to me with children, that they'll feel like their child's eating disorder kind of came out of nowhere. Like they don't know where it came from and they don't see, you know, how it happened or what kind of contributed to it. And so in a lot of ways, it's made me very passionate about education on the prevention of eating disorders for the next generation of children. And so much of that, I believe, starts at the parental level (laughs) in so many ways. Um, And a lot of the the education for eating disorders that's really out there for parents is more reactionary, I have found, more than it is preventative, which is what I love about your podcast. So much of it is about the prevention of it and how that all can can come about. So as pediatric nutritionists who specialize in, specialize in eating disorders, what are some of the ways that you feel parents can help stop this cycle and see some of these signs early on? Well, first, I want to say parents don't cause eating disorders, right? Um, And I also wanted to quickly address um, or ask a question. You know, you said you've uh, seen parents who say their teens eating disorders came out of nowhere. I'm curious if these are like you're referring to teens in the past two years during the pandemic, because there has been such an enormous spike in eating disorders during the pandemic. So I was just curious if if that was the case. No, that's a really good question to clarify. And yeah, it is. A lot of them, it will, they'll feel like it's come out of nowhere over the last couple of years. And I think also too, with the, the emergence of having even more time for social media has definitely influenced it in a lot of ways that are kind of like, how do I even, how do I even navigate this? Which I know you guys had Virginia on your podcast recently talking about how social media is impacting there. Um, and I'll link that in the show notes here, but yes, I have noticed it a lot over the past couple of years, especially in the last year. I feel like a lot of the parents are saying, I don't know how 
this happened. I don't understand my child had a you know, ate a lot of a wide variety of foods, never felt like there was a lot of this going on. Then all of a sudden, it feels like overnight this has happened. Well, I feel something to, to acknowledge is that so often eating disorder behaviors in our culture are normalized and praised. And so that is something else that comes up for me is, um, and I don't blame the blame parents, you know, I think all three of us here are parents, um, but that, you know, we're not taught or educated that certain behaviors are big, big red flags. Um, and, and even to go a step further, we're not only taught that, but we're actually taught from society that a lot of these behaviors should, are, should be celebrated. You know, someone saying they're going to quote unquote eat healthy or overnight become a vegetarian or vegan, um, or start, you know, rapidly increasing exercise. You know, I think we can all probably agree that those behaviors are celebrated. So a parent might at first think, well, wow, this is great. And then suddenly it becomes evident that it's um, a serious problem. And so that's another thing that kind of pops into my mind. Um, And, you know, I'm really glad Elizabeth said, you know, to, to, I want to kind of underline the point that parents don't, don't cause eating disorders. Um, You know, that biology plays a huge role, experienced traumatic events play a huge role, like, like the pandemic. Um, our culture plays a huge role and we know that someone who diets is at a very high risk of developing an eating disorder. So that's something parents can do is really try to get diet culture out of their house. Yeah. I saw that you guys had a webinar about getting diet culture out of the house, which I loved and how to bring that back to the, the, how to remove that from the table. And I think you're right. I'm really glad you clarified that about parents don't cause eating disorders because we have to think too about, we all are growing up in a culture, right? We're all influenced by the culture that we're in. And most parents out there, at least I know myself, and I'm sure I speak for most parents listening, we're all just trying to do the (laughs) the best we can. Um, (laughs) Circumstances, especially over the past couple of years, And it is difficult navigating the various things that are coming up. And there is so much pressure on parents to, to navigate all the different components of raising children. And one of the things that can be really difficult too, on top of it is we want what's best for our children. And sometimes our children, like um, the people who are our authority or our influencers or the people who are um, supporting us or helping us raise our children, like I'm thinking of within the medical community and our our doctors and stuff like that, we listen to them, we turn to them for support. And when we have someone telling us that our child's BMI is too high, or that they need to lose weight, we take that to heart because we care about our child. And so um, navigating that can be really, really difficult. And so I'm wondering from your guys' perspective, what are some ways that even though it's not our fault, parents' faults aren't, they're not causing it. What are some ways that parents can model behavior and work on their own relationship with diet culture in order to support their children long-term? Before we move on and answer the question, I want to address, you know, if a doctor says anything about a child's BMI in front of a child, an important thing for parents to know, one is that BMI is not an accurate measure of health. There's so many problems with BMI. Um, I won't get into all that, but um, it's important for parents to ask the physician, the pediatrician, not to discuss 
wait in front of their children because the uh, for a host of reasons and the American Academy of Pediatrics um, recommends that as well. And Anna actually and um, Katja Roel wrote a, a, a blog post that and a letter that people can just kind of fill in and give to their pediatricians. Amazing. So, and the other thing is, yes, if a pediat also if a pediatrician says, oh, your child needs to lose weight, no child needs to lose weight. Like a pediatrician shouldn't recommend that. That's bad advice. I'm not bashing pediatricians. I would just say that's bad advice. Well, I agree. I agree with everything Elizabeth said. And I think that's where parents can get in this hard place where you have this person who you feel like is an authority figure, a, a doctor saying this. And of course it pulls at, at all of that, those feelings of wanting to be a good parent. Um, and so it, it, it puts people in a, a tough decision. And then if you're a parent with your own um, history of dieting or currently dieting, that can all kind of um, bubble up, right? When someone says to you, your child's weight, your child's weight isn't what it's quote unquote supposed to be. Um, but anytime uh, I'm talking to a parent and they're concerned about their child, but then they bring up their own concerns about food and body, I really encourage them, you know, focusing on um, your relationship with food and body really is probably the best thing you can do for your child. It's just going to trickle down and support your child. Cause like you brought up and Elizabeth and I talk about all the time is modeling, you know, if a, a a child sees a parent stopping and eating and eating till they're full and eating a variety of foods and talking about bodies in a positive way, then they're growing up in an environment that is supportive and protective. Um, so that's a lot about what Elizabeth and I love to talk and write about. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. I like, um, the, I mean, we model so many different behaviors for our children. We try, we try, we try to model a lot of various behaviors for our children. And I think one of the things that makes it really difficult is if we do have our own challenging relationship with body, our own body image or issues with that. And how do we then either protect our child from seeing that, which they're probably going to see anyways, as they get older and kids see things that we never thought that they would see. But then at the same time, how do we then we work through that on our own in order to model that behavior. And what are the ways to model some of that behavior? What would you recommend someone do? How do they model positive body image for their children? How do they model um, a neutral relationship with food and have a, a wide variety um, when they're struggling on their own personally? I'm a big proponent of fake it till you make it, <laughs> you know, that, that, cause I think it could feel discouraging if someone has their own struggles and they're like, Oh, and now I'm, now I'm being told I'm going to, this is going to be passed on to my child and all this. And so, you know, I always, I think first, just noticing a parent start to notice what are, um, are you, what is the language used around food on a day-to-day -day basis? What's the language used about, about bodies on a day-to-day -day basis? And maybe, excuse me, and maybe you challenge yourself to make a little change, you know, to really work hard at each day, I'm going to say one positive thing about my body in front of my child, or I'm going to really work hard to use, um, to not categorize food as good and bad. I'm going to really work hard to talk about food in a way that um, 
celebrates food or categorizes it and crunch, you know, different, different things like crunchy or smooth or spicy, you know? Um, so you don't have to talk about food neutrally. Like it, mm-hmm. you, know, you can talk about food and celebrate food, but these moralistic categories can really have an impact on young children. So I think just making those little changes about, about language can um, make a big difference. But I'd love Elizabeth to add on. Yeah, well, I agree. That's um, Anna. That's one of the first things I often recommend to parents is, you know, to to notice the language as Anna said that they're using in the house, and then really practice noticing it, and then practice making small changes in that language. Um, and so often, parents don't even realize any. Lots of people, not just parents, don't even realize how they're talking about food and the negative um, impact it has. Um, The other thing that parents can do is really, you know, commit to making sure that they're eating the same foods that their child is eating. Unless, of course, the parent has a, you know, a a true food allergy. But if, if kids see parents, you know, not eating the rice or not eating the pasta or fixing themselves a completely different meal that's so confusing mm-hmm. to, to kids. Um, and then older kids start to think, oh, well, I'm not supposed to, I, well, my mom's not eating that. Why is she giving me this? You know, why is she giving it to me if she's not eating it? But then older kids just start eating in the way they see their parents eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I have a three and a half year old and I have celiac disease. And so, um, I have to eat different bread than, <laughs> than she does, but we all have bread, you know, we all eat bread and she'll even talk about how mommy has special bread. And I say, you're, you can eat all breads. So you can eat any kind of bread that you want. Mommy just has to eat separate, bre- different breads because mommy can't eat your bread. And I think having, and she's at three and a half and she already has the understanding of it's okay to eat bread mommy just has to eat special bread because I'm alert. I'm, you know, in her mind, I'm allergic to it, which is a little bit different, but I think it is really important to be able to, to, to serve the same food. And I think that makes it, it's, I think there's like this, a little bit of an understanding that kids should eat differently than their parents for whatever reason. And I think eating the same things is really important because it shows that you eat a variety of foods. They eat a variety of foods and eating a variety of foods is perfectly normal. And the way that we're supposed we're supposed to be eating from a nutritional level, for sure, right? Hundred percent, absolutely. And I love your yeah. story. I think that really il- illustrates what we're talking about. It yeah, it's important, right? Because you know, you think about like you know, if you're taking away, if you're not eating donuts, but you're serving them to your kids, what's, what's the message going to be yeah, there? Right. You can have this when you're a kid, but when you're older, you can't. Mm-hmm. And um, anyone at any age can enjoy a nice little donut, right? <laughs> so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've um, worked with someone, a, a child who's having some disordered eating and part of their story is a parent going on a really restrictive diet suddenly for whatever reason. Um, I'm not saying that, that that is the one cause of the eating disorder, but it is a, it's something I observe. And um, again, we don't have this information that it's not, healthy, quote unquote, for a family to have a parent that is, you know, suddenly cutting a bunch of stuff out of their, of what they eat. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's a good point because even though it might not cause it, right. We, know, we can't say that that causes 
the entire thing, but it certainly shows a modeling of behavior of removing foods in order to improve health. And with, especially when there's not a medical need for it, which can be really confusing for a child and for a teen, especially, I would imagine that'd be even more confusing around, and I don't have a teen, so I don't know (laughs) what that could look like, but I work with teens and I know that it is really confusing for them seeing certain types of behaviors and not understanding why someone's doing something or not understanding the basics of what they need nutritionally in order to thrive, um, because it hasn't really been taught or modeled to them in any way. And that can be passed down in so many different ways, whether it's through influence from diet culture, from the parents and from the previous generations or all kinds of different things. So in, in that regard around feeding our children in a way that leaves the diet culture out of the meal, what would be some of your recommendations for a parent that would be simple and easy for them to do that we can kind of build on the conversation that we're having now that you think would be helpful for them? You know, one thing I would add is so often we're, well, one, parents are under tremendous pressure to feed their children in some quote unquote perfect way. And there isn't one perfect way uh, to feed your children. Um, The other thing um, that I was going to say is, you know, a lot of what parents feel compelled to say, there's all this pressure to, to tell kids to eat healthy or this food is healthy right? And that is a nebulous term, right? I mean, what is, what is healthy anyway? What is it, right? Um, And when we say to a kid, oh, eat your broccoli, it's healthy, right? And candy doesn't fall under, you know, you can't have this candy because it's not healthy, don't eat any more candy, right? But the kids love candy. (laughs) That's so confusing for them, right? And then they internal, you know, they feel bad because they like something that's supposedly not, not healthy. I'm using quotes again. Um, but no, I think that leads, um, kind of well into the, some of the resistance that I hear from parents of saying things like, well, how do I make sure that my kids are going to get all the nutrients they require? Or how am I going to make sure my kid's going to eat? If I, if I serve them candy and made it readily available, that's all they're going to eat. And they get really worried about that. Um, and I would love to hear some of your thoughts because you kind of led into it so perfectly about talking about how there is no perfect way to, <laughs> to feed your child. And shocker, there's not, you know, even though we really, really want there to be. So because we love a nice little blueprint of this is how the perfect way to <laughs> raise your child. Here's all the things you need to do. Um, and we know it's a lot more complex and a lot more nuanced and um, not there is no blueprint for that. So I'd love to hear about what you share with parents who are feeling that pressure of, oh, I need to serve this perfect plate, or I need to make sure that my child's getting all other nutrients, or how do I start doing this? If I've, if I've said things like candies, like unhealthy, you need to eat healthy food. How do I kind of undo some of that um, in order to kind of allow for all foods to fit at the table in a more neutral way, but it's still exciting, right? As you know, like you said, I liked how you talked about Anna earlier about talking about food as crunchy or the different variations of it or how it tastes and the flavor is some of the thing that I talk to my daughter about a lot. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think about what do you how do you support parents when they feel that? But what but what about but what right. about what do I do? 
Well, um, I think there's this really interesting research that's not talked a lot about, and then I'll kind of loop back to what to do. But there's this really interesting research where this is old research, but they put different foods in front of children, babies, when we're talking like one and two year olds, and what they were deficient in is what they ate. You know, that, that baby, the children are smart. Like, and I mean that, and I don't mean they're, I'm not, don't only mean their brains, like their bodies are really, really wise. And so we don't have to orchestrate every nutrient that goes into our children's bodies. And what we talk a lot about, a lot of Elizabeth and my work is based in Ellen Satter's division of responsibility of feeding, which is the parents decide when it's time to eat, what is served and where it's served. So it's lunchtime. We're going to have grilled cheese sandwiches, tomato soup, and apple slices. And let's come to the table and eat it. And once I've done my job, I take a deep breath and then allow your children to decide how much they're going to eat and, and what they're going to eat of what's offered. And, and to know that over time, over days and weeks and months, most children will get all the nutrients they need. Um, we don't need to worry about them getting in a certain amount at every meal. I'm talking about over time. Um, and, and by understanding that, I think that takes huge worry and stress off of a parent. They can take a deep breath. They can know what their jobs are. And we know that decreased pressure, decreased stress at mealtimes actually improves children's eating. And so it's a win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, love the work of Ellen Sater and I, I couldn't agree more with around presenting all of the foods available and showcasing. One thing that I'll say to parents too is, well, are we as worried about B12? Like, like are, we, are we micromanaging every single nutrient? Do you even knew, know yourself, all the nutrients that are in each food? And so when you kind of take that little bit more of a reality check of, hey, I'm not, man like no one has the capacity to manage all of this from meal to meal and day to day for each one of their children, let or themselves either, that it kind of gives you the, like a little, like you said, Anna, like a breath of fresh air of saying, oh, the pressure's off, you know, just the same way that um, my child knows what it needs and it's going to respond to it. And I'm, it's my role to present it to them. It's my role to present food to them, show them that I'm eating the same things that they're eating. I'm modeling that all these foods are safe for them to eat. I'm providing them with things that are good, make them feel confident in that. Oh, my parents are providing me with the food that I need. And then from there, they take it from there. And I know that's hard for some parents because <laughs> we, we really want to, to, to do what we can. And when we see our child not eating something that we feel that they need, that can cause a lot of anxiety for sure. It's so true. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so. really sensitive kids, well, even kids, but kids are going to pick up on that anxiety, right? <laughs> and then that starts to interfere with the feeding relationship. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'd love for you to share a little bit speeding, speaking of that around that anxiety a little bit and how they pick up on that um, around some advice you'd give to a parent who maybe their child is a pretty selective eater um, and giving them some confidence around, uh, around how the Ellen Sater framework still applies to them. You know, if you have a selective eater for parents who have selective eaters and lots of kids go through just a kind of natural phase of being selective, right? It's just 
part of development, right? Um, but some of the some of what parents try to do is say, "Oh, try this. Oh, you'll like this. Oh, you know. Oh, doesn't this look good?" Or they try games like the airplane, the the spoon is an airplane, and try to get their child to eat, and that is pressure, right? And it interferes with the child's abil own ability to, you know, determine what they want to eat and how much they want to eat. Mm -hmm. And we're not being responsive to that, to that child. I tell, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that um, probably the big, the biggest thing I want to highlight is that kind of the children over time typically expand their variety. So if we can just sit into those roles, know that over time, um, if children, if it, children are exposed to a variety of foods, if we have structure around eating, meaning they're not grazing all day, children over time are going to expand what they're eating. And it's going to be different for every child. You know, I have three different children. They all eat very differently. You know, um, there's times where you might feel like, my child's never going to expand what they're eating, but if you can keep with it, and I'm talking for some children, it's years, years. One thing that I'll remind people too, and I think you guys would probably agree is that sometimes you just don't like something and yeah. that's okay. You know, I've said that before, like my daughter will try something and she'll say, I don't like that. I said, well, maybe you don't like it now, but maybe you'll like it later, or maybe you won't ever like it. And that's okay. You don't have to like grapefruit. It's an acquired taste, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's one thing that can be a reminder to kind of take the pressure off a little bit that not everyone's going to like everything. I don't like every single food that's presented in front of me. And I don't think that makes it any wrong or that I'm missing out on nutrients in any way. And I think we need to give our kids the same type of, of trust with their own body to know, like, maybe I just don't like that and that's okay. Um, and I do know from, I don't know, at least for me, what I have a three and a half year old and I only have one and another one on the way. So I'm sure the next one will have her own host, <laughs> her own host of things. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be sitting at the table saying, now what do we cook? <laughs> and everyone wants different things. And, you know, there's going to be all kinds of stuff, but I mean, I do know that my daughter went through a very strong phase of, um, no, no, I don't want that. And I remember my husband feeling very much like, oh my gosh, she's not eating anything. Like she's being really, she's being really picky and selective. And he goes, I don't know, like, how are we going to do this? I go, just give it time. Like, let's just give it time. She's, she's exerting control. Good for her. She has a say about what goes in her body. And we're just going to keep presenting everything. And it's hard because we want to, to give in to the things and make sure that our child eats. What parent doesn't want to make sure that our child is getting the new, getting, getting food in. Right. And so we want to present them with foods that they want. Um, but the more that we just continue to provide them with the variety and continue exposing them to it, they're going to come around to eating what they like. And they're just going to continue doing that. And sometimes they're going to surprise you, you know, they'll say, um, no, I don't want any broccoli. And then you see them sneak a little bite of it. <laughs> and so you never, you never know what can happen. So, yeah. and, and, you know, to use your daughter's big, as an example, it's really common for somewhere between 18 months and, you know, 
24 months or 32 months for kids to become more picky. It's, it's part of, um, I mean, there's all sorts of um, biological reasons why that, that happens. But if as a parent, you can stay steady and not kind of jump into the battle, then they're going to come out of it sooner, right? Like, but if you start to say, well, what about this? And you need to eat this. And oh my gosh, you're, you're being so picky. We've kind of entered the battle and it becomes more of a, it becomes more of an independence, you know, I'm going to behaviorally make sure I do what I need to do rather than a, a quote unquote normal food situation. Yeah, no, I, um, I agree. Um, are there like, I know you guys have talked about raising confident eaters and how that's different from intuitive eaters. And I would love for you to share if maybe it's not different from intuitive eaters, but I'd like to hear a little bit about maybe if there's some cornerstones that you've identified about raising confident eaters that you'd like to share before we wrap up. I mean, I, I think I would say they, you know, intuitive eating, being an intuitive eater is just, you know, everyone's born an intuitive eater, yeah. right? Um, I think the, the confident, the confident piece comes in, at least for me and Anna can, can add to this, but when I think about it, it's raising kids who are, who are able to leave home and feed themselves, right? And still have their, you know, abilities, natural abilities as intuitive eaters intact um, and who are able to plan and put together meals for themselves, navigate, um, if they do go to college, navigate a, a college dining hall, navigate going to friends' houses and things like that. And And so often what we've seen in our work <laughs> over the years is kids who leave home and can't navigate the landscape. And a lot of our work is helping those, those kids learn to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I just, I mean, I feel like if we can all stay, keep our eye on the long game, right. That it's not about eating broccoli at this meal. It's about having a child that can go out into the world and go through the cafeteria line in college, yeah. <laughs> right? Or go over to a friend's house and make do with whatever is served and not um, have a horribly hard time with that. That's what, that's what our goal is, right? And, and we could think about that in so many areas of, of parenting, right? right? Not just food, but for some reason, food gets kind of turned around and it's because of our diet culture. So if a parent's worried, if they can really step back and be like, okay, this is a, this is a many, many year project. <laughs> this is, this is something that, you know, I want my child to go out into the world feeling um, okay and confident about their eating. This is not about what's happening at this one certain meal. I really like that framework and the thought process around it's, I think it takes a little bit out of the fight and the anxiety of the day-to-day -day meals. When you think about what's the bigger picture here, where I want my child to land someday and what I want, what skills do I want them to have available to them so they know how to confidently feed themselves in any scenario and know how to take care of, take care of their body and nourish it and know what they need to do. And I, I think you're right. It, I really love how you said that's really just keeping intact 
and feeling confident in the ability that we are intuitive eaters and that we know what our body needs. And the, 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 in the adult in us is the same thing as the child in us that does that research that knows I'm going to lean towards things that my body is needing right now. And naturally we're going to do that. And if we allow the table for our children to reflect that, we're going to have a more confident eating next generation. And that's ultimately the goal. So thank you guys so much for coming on today and talking about this more. Um, I'd love for you to share with everybody where they can find you, um, anything that you have going on, um, anything you'd like to share and any last words of wisdom, if you have anything and, uh, thank you so much. So we are the co-writers of Sunny Side Up Nutrition, and we have a blog and a podcast. And you know, our our kind of mission is to um, encourage parents to get diet culture out of their home, and also provide simple recipes, simple cooking tips to make it just a little bit easier. Um, so we would love for you all to look us up at um, SunnysideUpNutrition.com. What did I forget, Elizabeth? And we're on, we're on Facebook and, and Instagram too at, at Sunnyside Up Nutritionists. And we're on Pinterest, but we don't always <laughs> post there regularly. I'm on Pinterest too. <laughs> I know, I know. So, um, but yeah, and I think just, um, you know, a final word of, you know, trust yourself. Trust yourself when it comes to feeding your children. Oh, that's such a great piece of advice to end on. Thank you so much, both of you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I love that the work that your guys that you guys are doing. Um, and I love your podcast. So I'll share everything with everybody in the show notes. And thank you again so much for your time and energy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the wholehearted eating podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you again here next week.